Okay, welcome to another absolutely incredible, amazing show. This is the Hard Asset Money Show. I'm Christian Briggs, your host, and welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking about the difference of theory versus reality and what that means and how it applies to, oh, pretty much everything. So with that, stay tuned. Let's go. Broadcasting around the world, this is the Hard Asset Money Show. Your wealth, your money, your future. Serious talk about what's happening and how you can profit. Live in three, two, one. All right, here we go. So today we're talking about an incredible topic, and that is what's reality, what's theory. Theory is based on conclusions of the past to create a potential understanding of the future. So the theory is if we look at our past and we don't make maybe mistakes or we do things a little bit differently or we invest or we maneuver our monies in places that may not have been as successful, but we look back to kind of create a future place of which to put our cash, make our investments, do our decisions, then that theory becomes a reality. However, sometimes theory, which is based on past, doesn't necessarily give us the reality we had hoped for. So let's talk about that. This podcast is brought to you by Hard Asset Management. We have the guaranteed lowest prices on all precious metals and rare coins. Call us at 844-426-4653. That's 844-426-4653. In a recent interview with Business Insider, analyst Paul Krugman was stating a little bit about the economy. And I, I picked this up really in, in a way because I thought the information was very, very good. And I think Paul Krugman, who I've never met, who I understand a little bit more about where he's coming from after reading this, and his principles of theory are not bad. They're not bad at all, so I don't want to say that they are. I think that this is a little different <clears throat> than the past economies, because every economy is a cycle in itself. So we call economy of the 80s or the 90s or 2000s and so forth and so forth. And we'll have more in the future, more economies. We have one big economy, but within that economy, we have little rotations, little cycles, if you will. So Mr. Krugman was giving um, his theory on what the economy is and where it's at right now. Again, I'm going to state his point and I'm just going to probably be a little bit of a debating here. So I'll be talking more about what I think is different and what that difference is going to do to us and do for us or against us or how we have to transition different places to offset I think which is a little bit different of an economy this cycle. So <clears throat> as we move here a lot of people that work in um, financial services from analysts all the way down to the stockbroker they've used the past to try to create a future hypothesis or theory on you know, the differences, but the same similarities that we have to create where they're going to put their money or, or to um, have kind of a game plan. So Mr. Krugman was saying that he believed that the economy is about to come roaring back to life with economic growth in rates that will surpass anything we've seen in the current century. Well, first, I want to disagree with that because yesterday when the GDP came out for the second quarter, it was estimated to be somewhere around 8.5. It was 6.5. So with this much stimulus in the economy and a GDP that was 6.5 versus 8.5, that was a fairly bad miss. So uh, good, bad, or indifferent, that's just, again, we're just talking about math, how math affects us. So there's a little disagreement, at least my opinion is that it may not be a quite 
as strong as people think. Also, uh, retail sales in some areas are falling pretty fast. Housing market's cooling. Mr. Krugman continues on here and he basically says, after 12 years of monetary interventions, we now have plenty of evidence to determine if the roaring economy is sustainable. Mr. Krugman continues to say it is and that real GDP is going to surpass anything we've ever seen before. Again, we missed the mark yesterday. Um, you got to look at, there's basically not much of a downside to having a very rapid economy that's recovering. And this is again Mr. Krugman's words. If you're an ordinary American, you can say, look, the odds are that by this time next year, jobs will be plentiful, things will be looking pretty good, inflation might be a bit higher, but your income will be more than keeping up with it. Again, those are Mr. Krugman's words, not mine. But again, I'm using that as a as a the narrative to be able to create um, the rebuttal or the affirmative on exactly what it is he's speaking to and what it is I believe is the more correct reality. And it is correct that there will be inflationary pressures if we indeed do have a rapid economic recovery. However, Mr. Krugman's um, differences against my opinion is that stating that the wages for ordinary Americans will rise in the same manner, fashion, percentage as inflation. Now see, that's where we differ. I do believe the economy is strong in some areas, but very weak in others. And unfortunately, the weakness is more segregated toward the middle class because their wages are nowhere near keeping up with the prices of goods and services, and that inflation is a massive tax rate increase. So since 2007, the inflation-adjusted wage growth for the bottom 80% of Americans has not grown. Now, if we've got inflation at around 2 to 3%, according to the federal government, federal reserve, federal government, the treasury, and the federal reserve for about the past 20 years, almost, give or take, and we've had wage growth of about 2 to 3%, but yet in reality, if you look at today and then measure the inflation rates, the cost of goods and services against the middle class, then there hasn't been much of any real wage increase for the middle class when you average it all because inflation has eaten and eroded all the things of which that their pay raise would have been able to pay for. So when we look at the wage growth of the bottom 80% compared to economic growth and see that wage growth has not come close to keeping up with economic growth, give it a 2 to 3% inflation rate for the past nearly 20 years, and all of a sudden in the last 12 months, we've seen inflation as high as 30, 40, 50%. On a national level across the board, we're looking at about 15% this year at the rate from based on what we can kind of see in the market and what were numbers that we're kind of producing on our own based on information that we gather. We're in a world of hurt. We're in a world of hurt. Um, the, we're definitely going to have a bubble burst that's going to be unprecedented, and that bubble is absolutely near its breaking point. So when you look at like the temporary stimulus surge that we've seen in economic growth from the end of 20 into 21, we saw it kind of in summer of 20, and then it really picked up toward the end of 20. Okay, now in the last... Oh, let's say two weeks, we literally have seen it drop from around a 15% GDP, less wage growth, the bottom 80%. So if you look at the rate of inflation based on the stimulus that was given last year and through this year, it put the GDP up, but wage is, or the money that the 80% of middle class makes has not gone up a penny. 
which means that the increase in goods and services, housing, cars, insurance, foods of all types, energy, that has basically gone to bankrupt the middle class and middle class is 80% of the GDP. So I hope I'm getting through to everybody here. We are on the verge of the bubble bursting. I don't know if we're days, weeks, or months away from it, but it is mathematically going to happen. And the last time it did on a much lower level or less level than what we think this one's going to be in, in terms of the damage, then we saw gold go up over 200%, silver 200%, palladium's up over 2,000% over the past 10, 12 years. Uh, rhodium, 10, 12 years, it's gone up 40-fold. I mean, it's no joke. This is, this is, this is real stuff here. You know, we have... You have $1,000 ounce for rhodium, now it's at 20,000 an ounce, so it's 20 times. I shouldn't say 40, but 20 times. So when you think about, if you look at the numbers here, and I'm gonna kind of, kind of paint you a picture, the gap between wages, savings, and living costs through the end of 2020 from 1990 to 2020 would require roughly 4,000 in debt annually to fill the gap between income savings and the cost of living for every American. Yeah, that's a lot. So that means you're gonna to have to increase your income by 4,000 per year to maintain the consistency of real wage growth against real inflation growth based on the federal government and the administrations, all of them for the past 35, 40, 45 years. And all they did was to increase the economy's growth. They used borrowed money, your money, my money, everybody's money to borrow into the economy. Okay, we're gonna take a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk more numbers. They're scary. They're enlightening. They're positive. They're negative. Depends on where your money's at. Depends on how much is diversified. And depends on how, how awake you really are. And you're listening. And you're understanding. And you're doing something about it. And these are great numbers then. We'll be right back. With many gold experts predicting gold can surge up to $25,000 an ounce, now is the time to buy gold. Hard Asset Management has the guaranteed lowest prices, fast and easy ordering, award-winning customer service, and expedited shipping. Gold was up 25% last year, an incredible return for any investor. Call now or go to our website at bmcham.com and get your free Hard Asset Management information kit on how easy it is for you to own gold. 844-426-4653. Welcome back. Today we're talking a lot about the cliff, the fall, the bubble bursting. It's basically the, the difference of theory versus reality. There's theories that are based on the prior history of economics. Economics are basically the economy of the United States. Every economy over a period of time has what we call micro economies or micro uh, instances where you have these conversions of rapid growth, investment, heavy investment into various places, and that makes up for a strong economy. Sometimes it's tax relief, sometimes it's debt. And what we're trying to do is to take the theory of today and try to create a reality for tomorrow. In other words, a lot of people out there, a lot of analysts, and I, I respect every analyst because you know I, I like opinions because that's what creates the measure of thinking. You know, if, if someone says something, you make you, you think about it. So right now we have a couple different analysts where we over the course of several months we've talked about. Uh, Paul Krugman is, of course, one that people may be familiar with. His theory is that we're going to have rapid increase in the GDP through the debt that's being pushed into the economy, which he's not wrong. However, is it sustainable? Uh, is it a recovery that is going to create organic growth where no more debt is needed to maintain the consistency of the growth that we've already seen through stimulus money 
or debt that was introduced into the economy through various ways. I disagree with the theory that the debt that has been instituted into this economy pushed into it and has been pushed and pushed hard and probably rightly so with all the things that have happened. However, there's a breaking point when you can overstimulate, you can overspend because remember the spending by the federal government is not all paid for by re revenues. It's paid for by debt and revenues that are generated through the taxation of the American people. So when you start to think of the debt, is the debt enough to maintain? In other words, if I spend a million dollars, where in the economy is that going to be felt? And then if I do that, is that million dollars equity? Is that coming out of my bank account? Or do I have to go borrow the money from a bank, then put it into the economy? Am I putting in something that's going to give it back to me in a direct revenue or a stream back? Or is that going to be money spent and not recovered or not transitioned into other forms of organic growth? So all of that said, debt by federal government is not organic growth. It is a short-term uh, high but a long-term detrimental consequence of theory that we're going to try to disprove. So again, the theory is overspending in the economy creates job stimulus uh, where people are hiring, where people are making more money than ever before. But is it the 1%, 2%, or is it 100% of America? And I don't think the money that we've seen so far is truly going to everybody because rate wages are actually falling when compared or they're at a stagflation for wage growth against inflation of commodities, products, and services. So let me go back a little bit about theory is that the money that has been spent through the debt and the stimulus packages is going to have a sustainable long-term growth effect on the economy is not true. What's true is that for every $6 of debt now, because we have to add more debt. It's, a, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme. If you take $10 million in from people and you've got to pay them back $20 million, you got to go raise $40 million to pay the 20 because you still got the 20 and then you got to raise more to pay the 20 now 40 and 40 into 80, 80 into 160. It, it's to pay the same original money back at some point may cost you six times, 10 times, 20 times the amount to pay back the original dollar. Well, that's what we're in. We're at a six to one ratio. So what's showing is it takes $6 now of debt to create $1 in stimulus where $1 invested in organic investment vehicles or places in the economy that's direct in businesses creates $6 indirect of stimulus. So the federal government should incentivize more people to open businesses and start businesses because that's higher taxation revenues than for the government to borrow money from around the world or the Federal Reserve, pump it into the economy because no work was really performed to receive that money. So there's no continuation of, of labor and all that. So I'm going to go over here to numbers that it's going to be a little scary here, but that's what our show is all about. We're going to bring you the facts and then you can determine what to do with them. So the government transfers make up more than 40% of real disposable income. It only further undermines Paul Krugman's view of American prosperity. You know, interesting, giving all government spending that was done through debts and deficits through last year or this year, um, you know, Krugman's argument is that he sees no evidence of any problems. Okay, again, it goes back to the same theory. 20 years ago, 
the Federal Reserve had less than $500 billion on their books. The federal government 20 years ago had around a five, four to five trillion dollar national debt. Okay, given the GDP even back then, that was low, 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 low debt. Substantial revenues by the United States government were fine at that point, given the national debt, the liabilities that we have through entitlements and so forth, and the Federal Reserve had very little debt on their books or balance sheet. And now we're talking about almost $9 trillion by the Federal Reserve on their balance sheet. Okay, we've gone in less than 20 years, we've gone from four or 500 billion to nine trillion by Federal Reserve, okay? The federal government's gone from $3 trillion, if you go back to around 2000, all the way to $32 trillion. So you've had a tenfold increase, give or take, in our national debt, not counting liabilities, pensions, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, there's a host of things that are, are mind-boggling bad, but about $275 trillion in the United States government total debt and liabilities. Federal Reserve has gone from $500 billion roughly to almost $9 trillion. So between the two of them, you have well over $40 trillion in debt against a top-line revenues of the United States government of around $3.3 trillion. And we were not that much lower than that 20 years ago. We were lower, but not substantially. But the debt 20 years ago, which was around three to four trillion when you include the Federal Reserve, has gone up 12 times. And I can assure you our revenues in the United States government in that same period has not gone up 12 times. So we've increased the debt disproportionately to the revenues of the United States government. So the theory that this is a short-term transitory type inflation period and that the debt that we've incurred that we're continuously incurring at rates that are unprecedented is somehow okay is now the debate has been proven that it's not sustainable unless we default or devalue the dollar which is actually both happening in a way the dollar is devaluing we've lost over seven percent of the buying power last year We've lost about 12% of the buying power this year estimated so far that the dollar has dropped. So you have around 19% drop in your value of your buying power in dollars, which means you have to have made 19% between last year through the first half of this year, give or take, in order to maintain break-even, period, period. Okay, we'll be back. You'll love the ending, so stay tuned.